Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get through all the live comments and questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure if you sent them in and you tipped and supported the channel, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too awful long to get them answered. So we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos now it is sunday i meant to get this one uh, up a couple of days earlier but it's been a very very busy weekend but hey better late than never and we are here now and uh listen before i get started i want to point out this uh, speedo this for those of you listening to the podcast no not speedo swimwear but this speedo hoodie i've got so here's the story behind this I'm gonna tell you the story behind this speedo thing okay so a little while ago, a few days ago, maybe a week or two ago, I posted up on my Instagram uh, this picture of me in the pool, just saying, hey, one of the benefits of living in the L.A. area is that I get to use my pool in October, right? Well, you guys know uh, that I have a buddy uh, by the name of Cody Miller. Uh, I'm sorry, Olympic gold medalist Cody Miller, a swimmer, of course. And so apparently Cody saw that picture of me and he was so disgusted by the ugly swimming goggles I, I, I own, because apparently they're not good enough. They don't live up to the standards of an Olympic gold medalist swimmer, right? Apparently, he was so disgusted by these that he felt the need to send me a package uh, of uh, a whole bunch of uh, speed. What are these ones called? These ones are called competition wear. Okay, so competition um a few more of these things as well. A few more sets of uh, Speedo. Of course, Speedo is one of his uh, sponsors, of course. And then, of course, he sent me and Anne some, uh, some hoodies as well. I, I do got to say I love these hoodies. They're very, very comfortable. Anne and I rode them bike riding this morning. So uh, thank you to Cody Miller. Uh, I can feel him quietly judging me all the way from Indiana. Uh, so thanks to Cody for that. But anyway, all right, guys, with that down and out of the way, Let's move on and start taking and getting caught up with your live comments and questions you guys have sent in. So, and by the way, just so you know, if you want to send in a live comment or question to be read on the John Cabas Show or a companion video, simply go down to the description of any of our videos and you'll see a tip link. You can click on that there or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on our show if it's, of course, appropriate for our shows. And, of course... You'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us involved at the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, that down, let's get over to it, shall we? And we're going to get things started off here with John is my girlfriend's hall pass, writes. I believe the most likely scenario of the X-Men coming into the MCU would be that they already exist in another unknown universe, just like Venom, and during the Multiverse of Madness, they get pulled into the MCU with their history already established. I mean, there are pros and cons to every... I've, I still have not heard a really good theory. I haven't come up with a good theory yet either. Um, I mean, the option, do they still live in this? But then you're saying, why does an entire population of mutants get brought in? They made Spider-Man and the Multiverse of Madness not thinking about the X-Men anyway. So it's as good as any other theory. But like I said, JC, I haven't liked a single theory I've heard so far. I haven't come up with a single th good theory myself. And I, I don't buy this one either. But then again, I haven't bought into any of them. So it's just as possible as any of the rest. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, 
You said there's traction and excitement for Mor- uh, Morbius. In my opinion, I haven't seen it. I have. Um, it feels a lot like it feels like a lot of people have forgot that the movie existed. I know it's all due to the delays. How do you think Sony can build up excitement uh, for it like they did with Venom? Yeah, no, listen, before... I think they were getting a lot of good momentum going for Morbius. And when they did release the trailer for it, it hit really well with people. Like, people really liked the trailer. But again, then the delays and pandemic and all that kind of stuff, just like a lot of other movies. But, you know, they're in an interesting spot right now. They're focused on Venom, which is now in its third or fourth weekend now. Then they've got to turn their attention to Spider-Man No Way Home. Remember, that is a Sony movie. Spider-Man No Way Home is a Sony movie. So what you don't normally see these studios doing is trying to promote things that come after other things they've got coming out first. So they'll, they're going to be very strategic with it. They're going to take their time with it. I mean, look, Morbius isn't going to be a billion-dollar film, even if it wasn't a pandemic era. But it can be a hit like the first Venom was. And I thought there was a good amount of buzz for it. And as soon as they turn their attention back on to Morbius, I think you'll see that excitement start to rebuild the way it was when the first trailer came out. All right. Good question, man. Next up, JC writes, Me on my next Tinder date, to paraphrase Rob, I know what's underneath, just let me see it. Uh He was talking about one of the movies the other day, and he used that term. But yes, I suppose it is something you can see on a Tinder date. All right, Alan writes, Hey, John, which franchise would you rather have another installment or sequel to? Number one, Elf, no need. Number two, Step Brothers, absolutely. Number number three, Rush Hour, no, absolutely not. Uh, Or Dodgeball. Uh, I love Rush Hour franchise with the second one being amazing. Would you love to see another one? No, I absolutely would not want to see another Dodgeball. I'm sorry. I would absolutely not want to see another Rush Hour. I love two. I love Rush Hour 2. I thought one was not very good. I thought three was absolutely dreadful. Um, So not really interested in another one, but I love the second one. Uh, Dodgeball would be an interesting one, although I don't know where you go with that. But Step Brothers, I just want to spend another 90 minutes hanging out with those two guys. That's it. I did the plot doesn't matter. The story doesn't matter. Just hang out with those two guys for 90 minutes and it would be hilarious. So that's the one I would go for personally. All right. Thanks, Alan. Next up. Uh, where are we at? Honest opinion rights. One of four. So I've been reading early reactions to Eternals online. By comparison, the social media reactions for Shang-Chi were, wow, amazing, best MCU movie. I don't think I've heard a lot of people say that. Anyway, uh, people were pumped, high-fiving, etc. But I haven't seen anything like that so far for Eternals. The reaction from most has been, number one, unlike any MCU movie, that's true. Number two, dense. It, it, it packs a lot of story and mythology, and it packs a lot in, so it is dense. Number three, visuals were great. It absolutely is. Four, post credit scenes are great they are but no one is actually saying if they love the movie or not that's not true at all i've heard a number of people say that they love i mean not everybody does but i've heard a lot of people say that they do um people are taking people are talking more about the post-credit scene than the movie itself and that's never a good sign well no but you got to understand that like the post-credit scenes in eternals and i'm not going to reveal what they are but the both post-credit scenes in eternals introduce brand spanking new things to the MCU. That's all I'll say. Whereas the post-credit scenes for Shang-Chi, which were great, but it the post-credit scenes for Shang-Chi don't show us anything that we don't already that we haven't already met or know. 
You know what I'm saying? So when you get post-credit scenes for something like Eternals, because of what those post-credit scenes do, you're going to get a lot of talk about them. So, I mean, there's that. Anyway, uh, next, uh, honest opinion, three or four rights. The only people I've seen so far to give their honest opinion of, oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, Okay, let's see where this goes, but I'm afraid you're getting into real ignorance territory here. The only people I've seen so far to give their honest opinion of this film has been Greg Alba from Real Rejects and Grace. Greg pretty much hated the movie, uh, but I respect why he hated it. Grace gave it a five. I feel uh, like once the embargo lifts and we get honest thoughts, more will lean towards Greg's reaction. I mean, no one has even ranked the film or given it a rating. Uh, They are allowed to do this on social media. Are they afraid of the backlash? Do you think that's a fair observation? No, listen, and uh, listen, honest opinion, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I'm going to be straight up as a fellow film-loving brother. That's a bunch of ignorance that you're just spewing out of your mouth why is it it is an incredibly ignorant perspective to go only if somebody says something negative then that's them being honest if they say something positive that's not honest no everybody is giving their honest opinion all right that that is one of the most annoyingly we're living in the era of idiocracy bullshit ignorant things you can say that Oh, because normally it's attached to people who have an agenda. Like somebody doesn't want a movie to be good. And when they hear somebody give a negative opinion, say, well, they're giving an honest opinion of it. Implying, of course, that people who are saying they like the movie, like me, aren't being honest. We're just lying. And and then the the other thing, the only reason they're, they're not, they're just afraid of the backlash. They're just afraid of the backlash. No, that's that's bullshit. Listen, I know probably a hundred people who do this for a living. Ain't none of them care about backlash and all of them always give their honest opinion. Whether you agree with their honest opinion or not is is that's another issue entirely. You don't need to agree with them, but it is the pinnacle of absolute ignorance to say, well, if they're saying something I don't agree with. They're not actually giving their honest opinion. And if somebody says something negative, that's them being honest. If somebody says something positive, well, then they're just not being honest. No, listen, Eternals is a great movie, but it's not for everybody. You know, I said in like my first reaction, I said, look, I don't know how your standard, typical MCU movie fan is going to react to this because this is not like any other MCU movie. Like, All the MCU movies are very different from each other. But at the end of the day, when the movie ends, the DNA of an MCU movie is there and you feel like you've seen an MCU movie, whether it's one of their straight up comedies, whether it's a political thriller, whether it's a borderline horror, whatever. At the end of the day, you feel like I've watched an MCU DNA movie. You don't get that feeling with Eternals. They, They pack a lot of other stuff in there, like a lot of other stuff. And I said, I'm going to be very interested to see what other people think. Because I thought it was great. I mean, I prefer Shang-Chi. Maybe part of that was because I really wasn't expecting much from Shang-Chi, but I prefer Shang-Chi. I love Shang-Chi. Passionate, passionately, passionately love Shang-Chi. So I've already said before on my show that I prefer Shang-Chi, but this is a really good movie. But it's not going to be for everybody. It's not. But everybody you hear saying positive things about the movie, they are giving their honest opinion. 
people who are saying not so positive things about this movie, like the critics who've seen it and not, don't aren't saying they like it. They are also giving their honest opinion, but nobody cares about backlash. Like, look at me. Like, I don't give a shit about backlash from anybody or anything. I really don't. I, I don't give two squirts a urine about it. Hell, I'll shit talk Disney all day. I'll talk about how their Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show is a big bag of shit, and then for a couple of years, Disney thought it would be hilarious to always sit me right by the cast of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know if that was them getting back at me or if it was just for fun, <clears throat> but there is that. I can come out here and say, you know, I, I think the Hawkeye trailer, I don't know why you all love it. Truth time, that ter- the Hawkeye trailers are terrible. I know everybody disagrees with me, but that's fine. I, I'm not worried about backlash from Disney or anybody else. That's what I think. You know, I can talk about how the CEO of Disney, I believe, is heading them into a direction of destruction. And I think he's bad for the company. And I think he's done a bad job so far. That doesn't stop them from inviting me to events and premieres. I was just at the Eternals premiere. And it doesn't matter. I can crap all over Disney all day. It doesn't matter. And even if it did, I wouldn't give two squirts of piss about it. And nobody else in this space does either. So I just want to say, can we stop the ignorance that people try to spread around because it doesn't fit their narrative? Oh, the, the, the pop, I hate those popular movies. The only reason they're popular is because people aren't giving their honest opinions and they're just afraid of backlash. No, no, sorry, sl- you know, Slotho McFuckduck. It, it, no, you're wrong. They're given their honest opinions. It just happens to be different from yours. Not that there's anything wrong with your opinion. Not just because your opinion is the same as theirs doesn't mean anything wrong with your opinion. Not at all. You have your honest opinion and they have theirs. So can we please move past that? Can we please? And also this whole thing about, well, wait a minute. People aren't saying they like it as much as Shang-Chi. What's wrong with this movie? Why, why is it like one move? Why is it everything? We live in this 10, 10, 10 or zero, zero, zero society. Is this new movie the best thing ever? No. All then it sucks. I personally don't like Eternals as much as Shang-Chi. But it's great, in my opinion, to me. To me, it's very enjoyable. It's great. I love the the richness of the mythology of it. I love the fact that this is such a grand scope movie. It kind of makes everything else that's happened in the MCU so far seem irrelevant. I like that, and it worked for me, and I thought it was really good. But I still prefer Shang-Chi. But anyway, that's just me on that, man. That's just me on that. So, so please, honest opinion, please purge that bullshit from your from your movie fan vocabulary because that's what it is it's pure bullshit so don't 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 spread that nonsense around all right anyway next up um alfred gives birth to robin rights one of two all right john time for me to finally explain my bizarre name to you i i wasn't wondering but okay Uh, a writer and comedian named keaton patty wrote a batman story that was supposedly written by an ai after it was forced to watch thousands of hours of batman content um the end result was a bizarre Batman comic. While Batman is battling the Joker, he commands Alfred to give birth to Robin. I was enjoying making you chuckle with the funny names. Uh, uh, you should YouTube or Google the comic when you get a chance. So I appreciate that, man. Thanks. Thank you for giving me a little bit of insight. That actually sounds funny. An AI trying to write a script based on previous content. That's actually pretty interesting. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, are there any bring on the filthy scenes in Eternals? Hashtag wishful thinking. I am not going to spoil anything. 
Uh, I appreciate you asking the question, and there is an answer to the question, but I'm not going to give it here because that would be spoilery. All right, Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John. Well, it's exactly since six years since that first incredible trailer for Logan. Wow, that's right. I remember hearing about that the other day, that it was the six year. I think Hugh Jackman actually posted about this, that it was the six year anniversary of when the Logan trailer dropped, which is really weird to think it was that long ago. Anyway. It is still the best trailer to a comic book movie I've ever seen. What about you? The trailer gets me even more knowing the outcome. What's your thoughts on the trailer? Bring on the filthy. Well, I mean, yeah, for those of you who don't know, I mean, I agree. It is the greatest trailer ever for a comic book movie. Just so happens also be to one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. I, I say it's in the top three. I say Logan is in the top three all time of the greatest comic book movies ever made. Um, and the trailer... I believe the whole trailer was in black and white. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, you got the Johnny Cash cover in there, right? I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I mean, the the trailer. First of all, it's one of the greatest trailers of all time, period. But it's absolutely the best trailer of all time for a comic book movie. The second one might be the first Justice League movie that was aired, or sorry, the first Batman versus Superman trailer that they aired at Comic-Con. That might be the second best one, but that Logan one, man, that is, that is, I think, the easily, easily the greatest comic book movie trailer ever. All right, next up, uh, Luke S. writes, one of four. Hi, John. I finally got to see Dune last night. Nice. Uh, being a fan of science fiction and fantasy literature, I was very much looking forward to Denis Villeneuve's vision of Frank Herbert's book. I wouldn't say I was awe-inspired, uh, but I will get back to, to Orange Grove in a second here, uh, but I liked it a lot and I'm going to go see it again in IMAX on Friday. I was impressed with the visuals and the performances of the cast, some of which I wanted to see more of. However, I felt that it had too much loud music in it. Um, even though it makes me sound like an old man. Also, I remember Jason Momoa saying that he had seen a five-hour cut of the film, going back to what I said before about wanting to see more of the side characters. it is. Is it likely that we could see an extended or Villeneuve cut of the film, something like Lord of the Rings extended versions? Um, maybe. And by the way, I really, really love Dune. I love Dune. And my wife, who has never read Dune, has never seen one of the previous iterations of Dune, knows nothing about Dune. She, when the credits rolled, I turned her and I said, what did you think? And she looked at me kind of like with this, kind of like this pondering face. She goes, I think it's my favorite science fiction film ever. Like, I think I like it more than Star Wars. Now, you know, Anne isn't as big of a massive Star Wars nut as me, but she loves Star Wars. For her to, to watch this movie cold and say she thinks it's the greatest science fiction movie ever. Doesn't mean you have to agree with her, but I think that that says a lot. I I loved it myself. As far as their... Listen, every movie, just about every movie, will have tons of footage that gets cut and left on the cutting room floor. That's the job of editing. You shoot extra materials just in case you can use it, and then a lot of it gets edited away as as the movie starts to take shape and take form in the editing room. So this is true of almost every movie. So could we get an extended edition of uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune? Maybe. Honestly, I'm not interested. I love this movie as it is. You know, if they, you know, put out a streaming version of it at some point that has bonus features, I'd be very interested to see the deleted content. But 
to me, the movie that gets released in the theaters is the definitive version of that movie. I even feel that way about Lord of the Rings, even though I really like the extent, I really do like the extended cut stuff of Lord of the Rings, but the movie that gets released is the definitive version of the movie to me. So I personally wouldn't be interested in it, but I would be interested to at least see the stuff that got cut away, just not as a new vision of the movie. That's all. All right. Next up, uh, Orange Grove 55 writes, Gotham was not the greatest show. No, it wasn't. Uh, but Robin Lord Taylor as Penguin was perfection. He was it was a very interesting uh, way they portrayed Penguin in that show was a different take on the character, skinny goth punk vibes, but worked so well. My favorite version of Penguin for sure. Not my favorite version of Penguin, but that version of Penguin worked very well in Gotham. Now, Gotham was a show to me that was very hit and miss when it focused on James Gordon and the Gotham City Police and them trying to keep, you know, trying to protect Gotham. When the focus of the show was there, I really liked it a lot. When the focus of the show was, look, everybody, that young boy grows up to be Batman. Ooh, then it completely lost me. Then it became stupid. Uh, and I love Batman. I'm just saying when Gotham was what it was supposed to be, it worked. Unfortunately, at least half the show, if not more, veered off and saying, well, let's make the show more about young Bruce Wayne. And when they did that, it didn't work. Not that I had any problem with the kid who played young Bruce. I love the guy who played Alfred. It's just, that's when it fell apart for me. But yeah, the penguin part was, was something that also worked for me, Orange Grove. That is something that also worked for me. All right, next up. Uh, spoilers writes, I wrote in earlier about how a fan spoiled Eternals in your tweet thread. Well, they were spoiling it all over the place. I decided to look through the rest and it's full of people saying who cares or spoiling a movie for kids doesn't matter. It's insane how inconsiderate some fans can be online. Oh no, again, it's another thing of idiocracy. Like I watched idiocracy again a couple of years ago, the Luke Wilson film. And it is crazy how much of that movie is just really coming to pass. And the, the ignorance of a lot of people online, like, well, it should, well, it's not up to you to decide what means something to somebody else. It's not up for you to decide that. You know, all you need to know is that there were people looking forward to going to see that movie and they'd like to save the surprises for when they go to see the movie. And for you to take that away from them means you're a fucking asshole. I mean, it just does. There's, there's no other way to put it. You can't spin it. You are an asshole, period. I mean, unless, you know, unless it was accidental, whatever. But if you go, oh, no, does, you shouldn't care. So I'm going to spoil it for you, blah, blah, and you shouldn't care. Well, then you're just an asshole. You're just a dick. So I hope somebody else finds something that you love and destroys it in front of your face and then says to you, oh, it's just a whatever, whatever. You shouldn't care. It shouldn't matter if this gets destroyed. I hope somebody does that to you. I really do. Now, for me personally, I don't really care because I don't care a lot about spoilers, to be honest with you. To me, it's not about knowing what happens. It's about experiencing the journey of the story. But I respect that a lot of people do want to save that experience for the theaters. And I think we need to respect that in as much as you can, in as much as you can. But then when you see people who just purposely go out of their way to try to ruin the experience for others, because, you know, They'll never be able to get a girl to actually touch them and they're complete losers that live in their mother's basements. Um, whatever. But yeah, it is too bad about that. It, it is really unfortunate that the, the moronic assholes in our world do unfortunately get to have an impact 
sometimes negatively on the world we live in. And is this what it is, man? All right, next up, but I agree with you. Okay, next up, we've got B. Wayne New York writes, John, like you guys, I thought DC fandom was a complete waste of three hours. Commercialism to the max, Superman hats, come on. We know they had more to show. Why didn't they take advantage of the perfect audience? Discovery CEO will want to close this WB deal quick. Well, he can only close it so quick. And I agree, like, it. And remember, I'm somebody who really liked last year's um, DC fandom. I liked last year's DC fandom very much. It's part of the reason why I was excited about it this year. And the very fact that they dropped a Flash Season 8 trailer the day after DC Fandom. They didn't show the people, the loyal fans who tuned in on their weekend to watch DC Fandom. No, no, no. They wanted to talk about golden boots and Cam Newton's hats. Like... When, when I saw that they released a flash, a first look at Flash Season 8 a day or two after DC Fandom instead of at DC Fandom, it just it made me go from not just thinking DC Fandom was a complete disaster this year, but also made me wonder, what's the point of DC Fandom? Like, the day after DC Fandom, some new Batgirl casting news came out. Why didn't you do that at DC Fandom? Two days after DC Fandom, they released the first look at Flash Season 8. Why didn't you do that at DC Fandom? I, I I feel like that was a real spit in the face to loyal DC fans who were there and took their weekend out to watch the pro... I don't know. It, it just seems really weird, and it will be interesting to see how the new leaders at, at Warner Brothers change things once they take it over sometime in the first part of 2022. So we'll see how that goes. All right, next up, <clears throat> we go to Roland, who writes... China got a flash panel at DC Fandom. I heard about that. It gave some insight into Ezra and Andy. Weird that it was not available to the world. Check it out. Yeah, I'm not interested. If if DC doesn't want to show it to us on the stream that we were there for, I'm not going to go out of my way to go watch it. Fuck them. So, but no, I heard about that. I heard that like China and maybe some other countries stream of DC Fandom had more content in it than the North American version. Now, I have heard of some things getting censored in china and something's not playing in china i've never heard of china getting more stuff than we get here so it was very odd it was very very odd so i don't know what the rationale behind that was but i'm not going to go out of my way if they didn't want to show it to us well i was there well i took one of my weekdays one of my days off and all of us did this all of us took time out of our weekend to be there for their stream because they told us we had to be there if they didn't want to show us that why should I or you go out of our way to go and hunt it down and watch it? Screw them. Screw them. Anyway, uh, next up, we got BH who writes, Hey, John, I absolutely love the new Batman trailer. So did I. It was absolutely fantastic. Oh, my God, that was incredible. I honestly hate that we have to wait until March. What do you typically do uh, to help when waiting a long time for a highly anticipated movie? I, I mean, there's nothing to do. Just Wait. You know, you can focus on the movies that are right in front of you. Have fun talking about and speculating. Remember, it's fun and okay to speculate about a movie. Just don't let your speculation turn into expectation. So it's fun to talk and speculate about the new the new movie coming. Focus on the movies that are right in front of us and just let the anticipation build, man. It's And really, it's not all that far away. 
it's really not that far away now, so we won't have to wait too awful long. Man. It'll be here before you know it, BH. It'll be here before you know it. And that trailer was fantastic. All right, Adam uh, Alderton writes, John, I'm now convinced Indy 5 is time travel, and they will be traveling back uh, to all the old Indy 5 release dates. <laughs> so for those you don't know, that's a very good one, Adam, very good one. For those of you who don't know, it was just recently announced that Indiana Jones got bumped again another full year. And it's now and it is now not opening until uh like mid 2023, which means it will be 15 years. 15 years between the release of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Lost Skull and Indiana Jones 5. So old man Indiana Jones from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is now 15 years older. It, it is kind of crazy, but I like that. They're going to be time traveling back to all, all the old release de- dates. Well said, man. Ismail Montoya writes, John, Angelina, Angelina, hey, look over here. Oh, I know what you're saying. Hey, look over here and get a hold of yourself, John. So for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, let me see if I can bring this up here. I'm not sure if I can find it. I'm sure I can. Give me a second here. So what he's talking about is, um, Ann and I, of course, were at the Eternals premiere. And I put up this post uh, because I can't remember who it was. For, forgive me. Somebody actually found this still because I said on the show, if somebody can find from the footage, me and Ann walking behind Angelina Jolie, send me a still. And somebody did. And I, I feel stupid that I can't remember their name right now. But anyway, so I wrote this stupid tweet. I said, Ann and I would like to thank Angelina Jolie for taking the time to pose with this picture, pose for this picture with us. We didn't want to bother her, but she insisted. And obviously she's just stupid because there's, Ann and I in the background there behind Angelina Jolie, um, who was also there with her kids, by the way. It was pretty cool. Anyway, uh, yes, there's that. So that's what Ismail is referring to. Is That's a comment on that little Twitter post I put up. Thanks, <laughs> Ismail. Next up, B.W. Rosas writes, Hey, John and crew. So Amazon Prime released the trailer for Being the Ricardos today, and it looks good, perhaps even good enough for Oscar nominations of Best Actress and Best Picture. Uh pump the brakes on that stuff from a trailer but anyway uh we shall see but it is something you are is it something you are looking forward to thanks oh absolutely i mean lucille lucille ball was like an a royalty not even an icon like absolute royalty and that show i mean is still iconic today it's i mean new shows come out and we forget them a year later everybody still talks about lucy right and when you, especially when you put in the caliber of performance here, especially like, you know, one of the greatest actresses uh, working today in there to play uh, Lucille Ball. I mean, it's pretty awesome. So, but I would pump the brakes a little bit uh, from a trailer of saying things like best, you know, must be a contender for best picture. Well, maybe it will be, but let's, let's pump the brakes on that when we're talking about a trailer. Anyway, uh, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, don't forget about Max Webster. Also looking forward to Eternals. Did you like Mel Gibson in Fat Man? Um, yes, I did like Mel Gibson in Fat Man. That's a, that's a very weird movie. I remember when the trailer for Fat Man, the Fat Man, or was it just called the Fat Man or was it called Kill the Fat Man? I can't remember exactly. Um, but I remember watching that trailer and being like, for those of you who don't know, Fat Man, Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus. Only a very, very different version of Santa Claus than you've ever seen before. Um, and I, I mean, it's a really weird movie, but I did like Mel Gibson in it. I will, I will say that. All right. Lee writes, 
Hey, John and Rob. Uh, and obviously Rob's not here. Uh, this is in the trailer, not a spoiler. Superman in the MCU. Uh, James Gunn has pitched an MCU slash DC crossover to Marvel and Warner Brothers. Neither company said no. So there is a possibility. Uh, this may be why there is a Superman reference to your thoughts. No, absolutely not. Um, that is absolutely not why there is a Superman reference. Chloe Zhao did not give two shits about James Gunn uh, pitching something to somebody when she was writing her script uh, with her with her team for Eternal. So no, it's it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Um, I mean, you should never say never because five years is an eternity in Hollywood and who knows what could happen more than five years out from now. But from where we are right now, I feel very confident in saying not going to happen. It's not going to happen. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Tony Rodriguez writes, uh, one of two. Okay, hear me out. Michael Keaton could be old, retired Batman Bruce Wayne, but it could be setting up maybe a one-off movie of Batman Beyond in the future. I don't think so. Uh, the end of The Flash could be a scene of him after helping The Flash, thinking he could use uh, an apprentice. Um, and there's no part two. Okay, so we'll just stick with uh, what you were saying there for part one. Um, I, you, you guys know what I think. Nobody gives a shit about Batman Beyond. I don't think anybody cares about Batman Beyond. I think Batman Beyond, and I'm just being honest, I think Batman Beyond has a very loyal, very small uh, fan base that uh, honestly is not something they would do. And besides, it wouldn't fit up timeline-wise. Because Batman Beyond is supposed to happen like a number of decades into the future, right? It's supposed to be a future Gotham and not setting it up in modern day. So I I don't think so. I mean, but you know me, I I don't think, I mean, listen, I've been having arguments um, online for at least 10 years of people saying they're going to make a Batman Beyond movie any day now. And and I've been saying for at least 10 years, no, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. And 10 years later, and they still haven't. Now, who knows? Now, I have said before, I used to feel almost, th- there were differences between the way I felt about Batman Beyond. And by the way, I'm not saying I dislike Batman Beyond. Don't misinterpret me. I'm not saying I have any problem with Batman Beyond. I'm just saying Batman Beyond isn't something I think they have any interest in making a live action movie about. But to to counter myself a little bit here, I have said before that I used to feel kind of the same way about Miles Morales in a different way because they're two different circumstances. But I used to feel kind of the same way about Miles Morales. And then after I saw Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, I softened my my thoughts on what could or couldn't happen with Batman beyond in the future a little bit. Cause I was like, well, look what they did with miles Morales and in, into the spider verse. It, it was amazing. I thought that movie was going to be terrible. And I love that movie. Love, 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 love that movie. And I started to soften my position on what could be possible for Batman beyond, but it's still never stretched into the live action thing. I think maybe there's a possibility they make another straight to HBO max animated movie maybe but i still can't see them doing live action look i've been right for 10 years at some point i'll be wrong about this but for now i still think no i I don't see them doing any live action stuff but you never know you never know 
I, I don't feel as strongly about it as I did prior to seeing Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So we'll see. All right, next up. Chloe Fanning writes, for me, the monsters in The Descent ruined the movie. Oh, not at all. They were terrifying and fierce and just nightmare-inducing. They were great. Anyway, the cave itself could have been the monster. Not really, but the, the cave part on its own was awesome. Uh, done like a classic Alfred Hitchcock movie where they talk about the bomb under the table, but it never show it, but you feel that it's there under you. Cheers. Yeah, I, I disagree with you, Chloe, but hey, that's the wonderful thing about movies is that they're all subjective and you're going to experience the movie differently than I did. To me, The Descent is my second favorite horror film of all time. Only behind uh, American Werewolf in London. That's still my all-time favorite horror film. But um, I thought the dual parts of The Descent is kind of what makes it so special to me because that movie is already, you know, heart-pounding, uh, fist-clenching, stress-vomit-inducing crazy in the first half of the movie just as they're cave diving and then the monsters show up and, and to me that just took it up to the next level but hey you didn't have the same experience i totally respect that but i gotta tell you for me i i really did i really love the monster part of that all right thanks for sharing chloe okay next up we've got a uh, fuck michael who writes after watching halloween kills minor spoilers well then nope uh sorry we can't can't write in stuff I, that shouldn't have gotten through. So I'll talk to our screener about that. Um, can't talk spoilers on here, guys, for movies that are just like kind of out right now. So can't do it. Sorry about that, dude. All right. Milo writes. I'm so mad, John. I was scrolling through Twitter and saw an Eternals uh, end credit scene spoiler. I won't repeat it since I'm not an asshole like some people. Are the post credit scenes significant to the plot? I hope not. Um, no. Uh, very, very rarely. Actually, I can't even think. I'm maybe there is one. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. I can't think of any post-credit scene to any MCU movie that was super relevant and significant to the plot of the movie. Like it's like you don't get the movie unless you watch the post-credit scene. Like all the MCU post-credit scenes, you can leave when the movie's done. And if you miss the post-credit scenes, you you're not missing out on anything from the movie itself. So I will say, as great as the post-credit scenes in Eternals are, you're they're not the plot of the movie doesn't depend on them. Like you're not missing out on your experience of the movie if you miss the but but do stick around for the post-credit scenes. Do stick around for them. All right, next up. Um, Arkham Ashley writes. Wow, that Batman trailer blew me away. Just seeing how, how Mindhunter slash Seven-like Riddler is, I realized something. Whenever that certain clown arrives on the scene, uh, what level of effed up is this going to take, take, it, uh, take it to? My feeling will be very disturbing. I love your comparison of like both Mindhunter, yes, but Seven. They really are passing off this version of Riddler like a, like a, the seven serial killer. And it does have that feeling. If there's another Batman movie after this one, if there's another Robert Pattinson Batman movie after this one, which I'm sure there will be, barring the inconceivable that the movie ends up being a flop and everybody hates it. It looks pretty damn cool and Matt Reeves is directing it, so I, I got a lot of faith in it. Um, but there's probably going to be another one. What will they do with Joker? I don't know. It's it's always a crazy question to ask because 
whenever you do a Joker, you want to make sure the DNA of Joker is in there, but you also want him to be different from any of the other previous incarnations. Cesar Romero's Joker is very different from Jack's Joker. Jack's Joker is very different from Heath's Joker. Heath's Joker is very different from Jared's Joker. Jared's Joker is very different from Joaquin's Joker, and so on and so forth. And they, they make totally brand new iterations of these characters every time while still maintaining the essence of who and what Joker is. But every time you do a new incarnation, it becomes more and more difficult because more has already been done before. So to me, it's very interesting trying to imagine what would the next live action iteration of Joker be? So we'll see where they go, man. We'll see where they go. All right, next up. Angel F writes, Hey, Gio. So I see a lot of MCU fans being whiny boo-boo babies about Spider-Man leaving the MCU. It seems like they refuse to believe that it's happening. They are in denial of the truth, and I just want to expound uh, on why you believe he's leaving. Well, look, let's be very clear about something here. Until Kevin Feige or Rothman at Sony or Amy Pascal comes out and says... Spider-Man is leaving the MCU. We don't know for a fact that he is. Let's be very clear about that. We don't know for a fact that he is. I believe he is. But but again, th- believing what will happen in a movie is like, you know, when, um, I don't know wh- what the uh, Sunday night game is tonight, but l- let me make up a, a scenario. Let's say the Dallas Cowboys are playing the New York Giants. I can say I believe the Dallas Cowboys will win the game. You know, they have a better offense. They have better defense. They have better special teams. They're just playing more coherently today than the Giants are. The Giants, you know, working through a rookie quarterback, all this kind of stuff. So I can say I believe the Dallas Cowboys will win the game, but they still might lose. The Giants could win. I believe Spider-Man is leaving. So I'll tell you why I believe Spider-Man is leaving. Uh, But we don't know that he is. So if somebody doesn't believe Spider-Man is leaving, they're not being whiny boo-boo babies. It's just that they haven't been convinced by the same material that does convince me. And then we'll find out. We'll find out very soon whether he's leaving the uh, MCU or not. I think he is, but he might not be. I believe he is because when they, I think ultimately Sony always planned on taking Spider-Man back home to to Sony. I I think that was always the plan. A couple of years ago, when out of nowhere and abruptly, Sony and Disney announced that we're done. We're ending our Spider-Man relationship. It's over. And even at D23, Tom Holland came out on the stage to thank the Disney fans for his time being able to play Spider-Man in the MCU. And he's looking forward to still playing Spider-Man, but it won't be with the MCU, blah, blah, blah. And then a few days later, a new deal got announced. I said years ago when that happened that I believe they extended the deal so they could properly set up a proper exit for Spider-Man out instead of this really dissatisfying, odd, abrupt ending that all of a sudden Spider-Man's not there anymore, right? So I always believed that that was the case. And I can't go into details without giving spoilers away, but when you look at the events of Venom, to me, that puts a giant explanation point on it. That, oh yeah, they're totally setting up that Spider-Man is going to be coming back over. And again, it's tough. I can't expand on too much without getting into spoiler territory. We did talk about it more at length during the Venom spoiler discussion. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they're ending the deal. 
I think they'll probably leave it open-ended, though, where in the future, they could do a special one-off here and there that maybe Spider-Man pops up in an MCU thing, or maybe an MCU character will pop up in a Sony-verse thing. So, and then who knows what will happen in the future, but I think the immediate plan is that he comes back over to Sony. But we don't know that for fact. It could still go the other way. So we'll have to just wait and see, Angel. All right. Thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, we've got the Sock Who Writes. Uh, went to Carbondale, uh, went for the weekend for best friends frat party. I don't know where Carbondale is. Uh, and I'll just say that I think it lived up to the after dark intro, uh, bought some graphic novels before I left like irredeemable Batman nightfall and something is killed killing the children. Uh, also just want to say congrats to Iatsi on the big win. I didn't know it was as bad as it was. But as someone who aspires to work in film one day, thank you for being brave and standing your ground. Yeah, I mean, look, and the IATSE thing is still not over. I think it will be over very soon. Now, remember, the IATSE membership still has to vote on this. Like, the leaders came to an agreement with the producers. The leaders of the union came to an agreement with the producers. But that's not binding until the membership of IATSE votes on the deal. And they have to ratify it. And there's some people saying they may vote against it. I don't think they will. They might, though. So, while I think this will all come to a conclusion very soon, there is still more drama to come. So, we'll see how that all turns out. Thanks for writing that in, Sock. Uh, Next up, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, John, talking about comic actors who have transitioned to great dramatic roles, add Michael Keaton himself. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, Kumail Nagiani may be one to watch. Also, Robert Downey Jr. started off on uh, uh, started on SNL cast. Plus, Will Smith was a rapper and Stallone began in porn. I, I'm not sure that part's true. I think he did something, but I don't think that's where he started. But I think there's a very big difference, though, Garden Variety, between... Somebody like Jim Carrey and Tom Hanks, who were just all big, pure, and well-known comedy guys. That's what they were. It's not they started on this one thing, and then they went into something. Like, Jim Carrey's whole career was comedy, 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 yuck, 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 stand-up comedy, stand-up comedy, stand-up comedy, uh, you know, in living color. That's what he was. Tom Hanks was the comedy guy, whether it was Bosom Buddies. And by the way, did you see that his co-star on Bosom Buddies just passed away? That was very sad to hear. Um whether it was Bosom Buddies or Bachelor Party or Joe versus the Volcano or what, whatever, right? There was a long, long time before he did Philadelphia, right? So I still think it's a very, very rare transition to see. We're not talking about, oh, just somebody who did this one thing and that was comedy. And then they just, now nah, that's different from guys like Jim Carrey, like Tom Hanks, and really only Tom Hanks, that did decades worth of just pure he was comedy guy and then somewhere in the middle of all that he found a way to transition to drama and became one of the best in the world one best actor at the academy awards back to back i can't remember the last time that happened i can't even there's a good trivia i can't even remember i don't even know if it if it ever did happen where somebody won best lead actor back-to-back years he won it one year for philadelphia he turned around won it again the very next year for forrest gump I don't think it's ever, I don't know if it's ever happened before. I'm not saying it didn't. I'm just saying I, I don't know that it has. It certainly hasn't happened since. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that puts guys like Tom Hanks and to a lesser degree Jim Carrey in very, very small, rare company. 
that I don't think the examples you gave necessarily equal up to that. But this is kind of my take on it. Uh, all right. Thanks for that garden variety. Next up, 2001 Space Odyssey writes, John, you said Shang-Chi was more entertaining than Eternals. I thought so. Uh, now I ask you, which one is the better film in your opinion? Because I feel like, for example, a great Star Wars movie, uh, great, I'm assuming SW means Star Wars. Star Wars movies are more entertaining than 2001 A Space Odyssey, but the latter is much better of a movie in my opinion. It's impossible to answer that question. That That is because there's no defined parameters to saying because to, to many people, there is no difference between what movie is more entertaining and what movie was the better movie. And they're not wrong to see no distinction. Some people do see a distinction, and they're not wrong for seeing a distinction. But there's no defined parameters, really, about one or the other. So I, I can't answer that question. I will just say that, yeah, I mean, Shang-Chi is designed to be the jumping up and down in your seat, kind of going, whoa! kind of fun movie eternals is meant to be for lack of a better term more shakespearean in many ways they're designed to deliver different experiences so i'm not going to get into the which one was better than what i'm not going to get into that because it it differs from person to person all right next up suthius writes so what does the John Campius show real rejects and black nerd comedy have in common? Good, wholesome people who shine with their personalities and overall positivity in the world that in the world that is nerddom. I've been watching each channel anywhere between five to nine years now. You being the longest. Oh, thank you for that. Suthius. I appreciate that, man. And thank you so much for being part of the community. And it's always listen, man, seriously, it's always really nice when somebody just wants to take time out to send in some positive uh, affirming words like that. So thank you for the encouragement. I appreciate that. All right. Dangerous D writes, uh, Hey John, I asked you if you watched Bellator MMA and you said no, because they put Tito Ortiz for gimmick fights, but this gimmick is used in wrestling that do not compare wrestling to MMA. Uh, they bring Ric Flair steamboat to bring in audiences. They're not as popular as UFC yet. Uh, they're not as popular as UFC yet. So they need those fights to bring in the fans. But here's the problem. Like first, okay. First of all, dangerous D don't compare real athletic competition to sports entertainment. And I don't mean that as any disrespect to WWE or anything like that, but you can't compare them. They're different things. It's, it's one thing in the fake, let me, let me, I don't like the word fake when talking about wrestling, the scripted, I don't like, you know, drawing comparisons between the scripted entertainment. It's one thing in scripted entertainment to have this old legend comes back and has to take on the whatever. Yeah, you can do that in scripted entertainment, but there's something utterly sad and pathetic um, in real athletic competition. Now, don't get me wrong. Tito Ortiz could beat the living shit out of me. <laughs> no doubt about it. But he has no business being in a mixed martial arts combat ring. He has no business being in a mixed martial arts combat ring. And just putting him in there against somebody else who also no longer has any business being in a mixed martial arts combat ring doesn't make it any better. And so to me, that just tells me, that doesn't bring in the fans. That just tells fans we're desperate. Now, I'm not saying Bellator can't be great. They've made some really cool signings and maybe they can become, but you know, they still got Fedor Emelianenko fighting. I mean, they just had Fedor 
at 45, fight some guy who's had two professional fights. I mean, it just reeks of pathetic desperation. And it's not a good look for them, Dangerous D. It's not a good look for them. Anyway, next up. Uh, Dangerous also writes, Hey, John. Mel Gibson is set to star in John Wick prequel, The Continental. We talked about this the other day. I remember you talked about wanting to have uh, a show about this, Assassin's Safe House. Now it's coming true. Are you psyched about this show? Also, uh, is this Mel's redemption after years of being blacklisted? I don't think so. Look. First of all, yes, I've been talking ever since the first John Wick movie that I would love to see a standalone movie or TV show about the Continental. They've announced it years ago. It's finally coming to fruition. Great. And I think Mel Gibson would be great in it. There is nothing Mel Gibson can do now that is going to change anybody's minds. Like, there are people who simply do not like Mel Gibson in light of all the personal issues that he had. And I don't hold that against anybody. I get it. I get it. If some of the things Mel Gibson did and said for you always puts him in your shithouse for the rest of your life. I get it. I don't, and I'm not judging for that. I, I understand that. I think it's understandable. Um, and then there are people who it's like, it, it doesn't do that for them. And I don't think you're ever going to see Mel Gibson. Like Mel Gibson was nominated for Academy Awards the other day. That didn't create a big redemption arc for Mel Gibson. Uh, him being in Expendables did not create a big redemption arc for Mel Gibson. Him being in The Fat Man did not create a big redemption arc for Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson appearing in the Continental three-episode Lionsgate series is not going to create a Mel Gibson re- redemption thing either. He's going to go through and do some good stuff for the rest of his career. And he'll always be remembered fondly for things like Braveheart and, you know, uh, and, you know, the other stuff that he's done, Mad Max, what have you. But him, the days of him being a hugely popular star, those are done. Those are done. And and I don't think anything's going to change that. All right. Next. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the way I think it is. So there's that. All right. Dangerous also writes. Hey, John, L.A. Law is coming back to TV. Yes, they announced that a while ago. And Corbin Burnson and Blair Underwood is set to reprise their roles. I remember watching several episodes back in the 80s. Did you watch this show and which 80s show uh, you wished they would revive? I'd pick uh, The Greatest American Hero. They, there has been talk about a Greatest American Hero movie being done. I believe it's still in development. Like, it was supposed to come out a long time ago, and it kind of got shelved, but I believe they are still trying to get that thing going, so that may happen. I Listen, I'm a sucker for legal procedurals. Um, L.A. Law was one of the most famous ones that, that ever did it, and... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be checking it out. I'll check it out for sure when it comes back. <laughs> By the way, I know it's weird, but whenever I think of Corbin Burnson now, I think he, I believe he played, he did one or two episodes, it might have just been one, of Star Trek The Next Generation, where he was a member of the Q Continuum with Q. And I don't know why, but whenever I think of Corbin now, I think of that instead of L.A. Law. It's kind of weird. All right, next up. Uh, Dan Gifford writes, Hey, John, I love your show. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate that, man. Uh, Pixar has made many, many great movies over the years, but Up, I think, remains one of Pixar's classics. Do you think Pixar should ever consider making a sequel to the popular 2009 movie? Listen, my thoughts on sequels are usually always yes, because I just want to go back and visit those characters again. I just want to be around them again. 
But honestly, look, they've got the Doug. There are Doug short animated things on Disney Plus now. So there's that. Honestly, there. I don't know how you recapture the magic of Up. Like it's it's not just maybe Pixar's best film. Maybe it's maybe like a top five greatest animated film of all time. There's there's a magic to that movie. Like just the start of that movie has an entire movie theater weeping and in tears. Like the entire beginning of that movie, like with no dialogue and everything is showing, you know, the two growing up and marrying and having a life together and him losing her. I mean, oh my God. Then everything else after that is just so incredible. I, I'm good with them doing sequels to Pixar films, but that might be one. I don't know how you do it. So I, maybe I might leave that one alone, but I, I wouldn't be against it if they wanted to do it. I'm just saying I would probably leave it alone myself personally. All right. Anonymous viewer writes, um, by the way, I love your Barney movie. Rant. That was going back a while. Uh, what the heck was Daniel Kaluuya thinking? Hopefully it isn't happening now. Well, I will say this. I haven't heard anything about it in a long time. So maybe they're still planning on subverting expectations or maybe they aren't. I don't know, but we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I haven't heard anything new about it for a while. So it might have been shelved. I I simply don't know. All right. Uh, Lee Vang 69 writes. Hey, John, a few months ago in an interview, Kevin Feige said the Eternals will win Oscar for best picture. I think he said it could. I think he said it could. Anyway, he has made a lot of movies. So this must mean something. After seeing the Eternals yourself, how much of a chance do you think this will happen? Uh, no. I think this is a great movie. Do I think this is a movie that can win Best Picture at the Academy Awards? No. Do I think this is a movie that could get nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards? Yeah, I could see that happening. That's a possibility. Winning Best Picture at the Academy Awards? Nah, I don't see it. Like, I don't see that for Shang-Chi either, but I, 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 and I love Shang-Chi and I really like Eternals, but I, I don't see that happening. I don't, that, at least not me personally. All right. Playmaker writes, I've always wondered how come movie premieres take place two to three weeks before the release uh, for general audiences and not maybe the Monday before the wide release? Well, I mean, the answer to that question, Playmaker, would be another question. Why would you do the premiere only a few days before release? I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, remember, the premiere is an event for the people who made the movie. It's for the people at the studios. It's a party. It's a celebration, all that kind of stuff. So they hold these things usually a couple of weeks before the movie's open. But I've been to premieres that happen a week before the movie comes out. But, you know, I've also been to a lot of premieres, you know, for Warner Brothers, for, for Lionsgate, for whatever, that they usually happen a few weeks earlier because it's, it's a party right now, not in these COVID times they have been doing it, but what always happens with these premieres is that they do the premiere and have the screening. And then there's always an after party where it's just their time to get to gather everybody together and celebrate the release of this movie and blah, blah, blah. And then really kick off the home stretch marketing for the movie. And that's usually a couple of weeks process. So, you ask, why do they hold it two or three weeks? I would ask, why would you wait to do it before, you know, the week before a movie comes out? That would be my question. Anyway. All right. Next up. Uh, Nate Dog writes, 
Hey, John, I went to see Free Guy today. I love Free Guy. Still one of my favorite movies of the year. I went to see Free Guy today, and I was the only person in the whole theater. Well, it's been out for like seven weeks, so I'm not surprised. I was the only person in the whole theater. It was like having my own private screening. It was pretty cool. Have you ever had that experience? Not where I was the only one. I have had a couple of experiences, uh, but only a couple where I've been. It's like me the person I came with and maybe two or three other people in the entire theater. But I've honestly never been to a movie where it was me in the theater by myself and nobody else. I've never had quite that close, but never had quite that one. All right. Nate dog writes, whatever happened to Jason Patrick, I really liked him as an actor. He made uh, this movie with Ray Liotta called narc. Yeah, that was, I remember narc. That was a good one. That was really good. I also liked another movie he was in called rush. Rush was great. Uh, Greg Allman played the bad guy in that film. Uh, he was also, was he not in Lost Boys? I thought he was in Lost Boys. Wait a second, let me bring this up. Uh, Lost Boys, IMDb. I, like, was that not Jason Patrick? It was Jason Patrick, yeah. I don't know whatever happened to him. But, you know, I mean, all it takes is a quick little search on uh, IMDb to see what he's doing today. Um, but he's got one, two, three, four, five projects coming out. Um. He was in Becoming. Oh, I didn't even realize he was in Becoming. Uh, Vanished. Yeah. Jitters. Uh, then he's got five projects coming out called Bonded, MK Ultra. I don't know what that is. Uh, Nightshade, Max, M-A-X-S, and The Detective, a TV series that's being shot right now with uh, Michael Madsen, Jason Patrick, Miguel Nunez, Don Harvey. So, yeah, he's still, he's still working. But, yeah, he's, not, he's certainly not at the level of recognizability that he was before, but I don't know. But I'll, like whenever I think of him, I'll always think of Lost Boys. Still my favorite vampire movie of all time. All right, good question, man. Next up, Christopher Rosado writes, John, I know you aren't a Doctor Who fan, so I got this question for you. Out of these three actors who played the Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, uh, David Tennant, and Matt Smith, which one has had the more successful acting career? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't follow. I mean, Matt Smith is super hot right now. Because between The Crown, which, I mean, I, I believe he won some Emmys for that. Did he not? Hold on a second. Let me bring this up. Matt Smith. I thought he won an Emmy. Could be wrong. Let me just double check here. Uh, awards. Or at least he got nominated. Yeah, he got nominated. He got nominated for uh, for uh, the Emmy in for the for the Crown. Uh, he also won some awards for the Crown as well. So besides his run on the Crown, which was like for a couple of years one of the most popular television series in the world. On top of that, now he's got the Game of Thrones prequel show coming, and I think that's going to be crazy popular. I do. So. Uh, I mean, David Tennyson. So, so, I mean, I don't know. Off the top of my head, just talking about, my, I'll say Matt Smith for now. For now, I'll say Matt Smith, but I don't really follow that stuff too much. All right. Uh, Patricia Benina writes, uh, who is also one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Patricia. And she tips in like $20 sending this in. Thank you very much for that. Anyway, uh, longtime fan since the AMC days. Thank you so much for that, Patricia. Um, Will you be adopting a family again this Christmas? Absolutely. Uh, I don't have the financial resources to do it all by myself, but would like to help. Would you consider having a tip day fundraiser here for all of us to help a family? Probably not for two reasons. Um, well, for three reasons. One, the 
for those who don't know, Ann and I, every, we, we do a bunch of stuff during the year too, but at around Christmas time, we participate in uh, adopt a family, which is social services will pair us with a family in need to help give their family a Christmas. I mean, I can't imagine anything are many things more gut punching. If you're a parent, then you can't give your kid a Christmas, right? So what we do, they, they help pair us up with a family that's in need. Sometimes it's, it's a mom and a dad's kids. Sometimes it's a single mother. We've had a couple of single mothers in a row. And what we'll do is we'll then get in contact with the family. We'll find out what it is they need and what their kids are looking for at Christmas and blah, blah, blah. And then what we do is we go out, we buy as much as we can for the kids. And then we try to get some stuff for the parents as well. Uh, and on top of that, then we always throw in a few hundred dollars for like um, uh, a grocery store gift cards and things. So on top of everything else, they can have some stuff to get some practical needs done. Right. And then about a week before Christmas, we go and visit them wherever it is they're staying. And we get to go and deliver the presents and spend, you know, some time with the family and stuff like that. And it's, it's amazing. And I tell you this exclusively and only because I'd love to motivate you to do it yourself. We've had, I mean, last year was an amazing one, but it's happened a couple of times where it's like, you wouldn't believe what even a little thing, the joy can put on a kid's face and then the mom stepped into the kitchenette because she was bawling her eyes out because she saw her kid happy. And maybe it had, it's been a little while since she saw her kid happy and the mom was just like bawling her eyes out. It's, it is a unique blessing to be a part of something like that. And I tell you that because every year around Christmas time, I always talk on my shows about guys, get together with your friends, pool some money together right? Get five or six or seven friends together. If each of you can put in like, I don't know, 60 bucks, scrounge up some money. Don't go to out to dinner. Don't go eat at Chili's for a couple of weeks. Everybody scrounge 60, 70 bucks together. Get a bunch of friends, raise some money. Then together, get a hold of your local community, your, your uh, city hall, your local community, ask about the local adopt a family program. Um, and, and just do pick a family, get, or get matched up with a family and participate in this yourselves. Because number one, it you're doing some good in the world. But number two, it is an experience that I think kind of changes you a bit. So there are three reasons why I won't be doing it on my show. Number one, because this is something Ann and I do, right? This is this is something that's very special for me and Ann to do together ourselves. Uh, number two is I want you guys to do this on your own. Like coordinate with other film fans, whether they're in your circle or if you got a film community online like ours, get in touch with each other. Like figure out, hey, let's why don't we let's do this ourselves. Let's do this ourselves. So so there's that. I want to encourage you guys to do that on your own. Number three, and this is a, uh, an, uh, an accounting reason, to be honest. Number three is the fact that. OK, how do I explain this? Whenever money comes in to the John Campia show, right, there's a record of that money coming in. 
And that record, every dollar that comes in, uh, it becomes um, subject to taxes. And so if I set up like a, a tip day, that's great. All that money comes in and then I give it to where it needs to go. But now I'm also stuck. Like, let's say for argument's sake, $1,000 came in, right? Great. We had $1,000 come in. We get to put something. I am now going to get an extra $300 of a tax bill. And I, I can't afford that. I already, I pay a lot of taxes. Um, so not, so not only do we take all that thousand dollars to come in and give it away, but now I'm also have to cover another $300 tax bill. Uh, I learned this <laughs> very, anyway, I'm not going to go into all the details. My, 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 my accountant walked me all through it anyway. So yeah, it is just more efficient for people to do it. Uh, on their own and uh, do it that way. So I'm going to continue to pu- push and promote it and everything. And I want you guys to, uh, to coordinate with friends or family yourselves. And it's a great activity to do with other people and go and adopt a family this Christmas time. Because it's, yeah, we're midway through October. It's really coming up. Now's the time to start thinking about it. All right. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Patricia. Next up, <clears throat> Ryan Loner writes, one of two. I keep seeing people... Um, Uh, making a big deal about how the Batman is going to be really dark and edgy with a Batman who has deep psychological issues and who criminals are terrified of. Uh, And every time I see it, I think, and this is different from literally every single other version of Batman. How exactly even the Lego one, not really, but Ryan, I'm going to disagree with you on that because even like, just go back to even Christian Bale's Batman. Yeah, maybe under the surface he you know he had a lot of turmoil still, a lot of whatever, but he still he pretty much had it all together. He pretty much had it all together. Watching the trailer for this new Batman, we see a different interpretation of even Bruce Wayne. This dude's he's broken. And and you haven't even Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck has been my favorite iteration of Batman so far. I'm not saying he's had the best Batman movies. That's obviously Christopher Nolan's movies, but Ben Affleck has been my favorite iteration of Batman so far. But even Ben's iteration wasn't quite what it looks like Matt Reeves is going for because Bruce Wayne in this iteration is truly a broken person. And it's it almost seems to me from the trailers, and I don't want to read too much just in the trailers, but it seems like at least on a surface level to me that from the trailer, it looks like being the bat is almost his way of coping with his own brokenness as well. And, and that's fascinating. And I've never really seen any other iteration kind of approach it like that. Uh, at least not so far. So like for me, I think this is actually kind of refreshing. All right. Next up, we got emissary who writes, Hey John, if you had a chance to check out the show, another life on Netflix, they just dropped season two a few days ago and I love it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've never even heard of it. Never heard of that one. I mean, surprise, surprise, something on Netflix that they don't promote very well at all. So I don't know anything about it, but thanks for putting on my radar, Emissary. I'll see if other people write in about it as well. All right, next up, we've got Justin who writes, one of two. Hi, John. On the topic of Garfield and Maguire, uh, though not confirmed for Spider-Man No Way Home, they are heavily rumored to show up. True. Uh, Is Marvel backing themselves into a corner if they do not give us the same versions as the previous movies? 
Uh, I don't think so. Anyway, I do believe that if we get them in the movie, that they will play different characters or at least versions, considering that Jamie Foxx commented that we would not see the same version of Electro and Evan Peters casting in WandaVision. I mean, that's that's a possibility. <clears throat> like, look, first of all, let's be very, very clear. It is not official that Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire are in this. Everybody's assuming that they are, and they might be. I personally believe they will. I believe they will, but there's absolutely no real authentic proof that they are. I know, but John, no, there is still no real authentic proof that they are. I believe they will be, but there's that. But it is also very much a possibility that may not be the actual versions from the movie because they could be other versions of Spider-Man from different multiverse dimensions, right? I mean, who knows? It is a possibility. The MCU, Marvel isn't painting themselves into a corner because they're not saying anything. It's all the fans running around with this stuff. The fans are creating all this. So it's really the fans that are backing themselves into a corner. Again, I say this all the time now. Speculation is fun and great, and we should do speculation. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people in fandom who let their speculation become expectation. And now you, they better do this or else I'll be mad. Mm, you know what I mean? And that's when fandom stops being fun. When, when people let their speculation, which is fun, to become expectation, which becomes a destroyer of joy. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, though, with that. And again, I don't even know that they are going to be in it. I just happen to believe that they will. We'll find out. All right. Next up. Willow writes, out of curiosity... Is it normal for there to be snipers guarding events or was the security just extra high at the Eternals premiere that you went to? Okay, for those of you who don't know what she's talking about, what Will's talking about, I did uh, show this on the show the other day. But when Ann and I went to the Eternals premiere um, last week, the very first thing we saw coming out of the parking was this. And it doesn't just look like... They were holding, there were snipers on the roof. There were snipers on the roof. Um, I had, now I have personally never seen that. So Willow's asking, is that normal for movie premieres? All I can say is I've personally never seen it. Now, maybe there have been snipers before at these events, and I just never noticed. But I got to say, that's the first time I ever saw it, Willow. All right, next up, Danny V writes, I don't know if you heard about it, uh, but did you read what Ruby Rose wrote about what happened on the Batwoman show? Yes. I knew about PA being paralyzed, but it's pretty damning uh, where Discussing Film has put all of her Instagram posts together where she didn't quit. Yeah, look, I I don't care. I purposely never made... This is the only thing I'll say about the Ruby Rose situation, okay? I never made a topic about it on the show because I don't care about this TMZ bullshit. Like, the only time I'll... This stuff, this stuff will get my attention is if it has a direct impact on the movies we are about to see or are going to see in the upcoming future, right? This is neither of those things. So I don't care. I will say this, though, and I will not say who, but and, I, and I'm not personally taking a side, but I have heard from someone who has worked with Ruby Rose 
who said, now I'm not saying this. I have never met Ruby Rose. Okay. I have never even slightly met Ruby Rose as far as I know. So I have had no negative experiences with Ruby Rose myself. Okay. I'm just saying, I know somebody who's worked with her and they said, and I quote, she is a demonic nightmare. Demonic nightmare is the phrase they use for her. So I wasn't surprised to see the responses to Ruby Rose, both from the studio and from some of the actors who worked with her. But again, let me be very, very clear. That's hearsay. I have never seen, or I've never met Ruby Rose. I have never seen her be anything but totally polite to people. I've never seen her be polite to people. I've never seen her. So I have no knowledge whatsoever. So I don't care. Plus, Ruby Rose is not exactly a hot actress in the business who's like a budding star and we're going to have a whole bunch of movies with Ruby Rose. Eh. So I, it really, I don't care about this. Like I'll, I'll let the TMZ and bullshit gossip people talk about this. I, I have no interest in it. I only tell you that I, I personally heard from somebody who's had firsthand experience working with Ruby Rose that it was not a good experience, but You know, you could talk to 50 other people who maybe did have a positive experience. I don't know. I don't care. I just don't care. So to me, this is a non-story. You know, it's different from like the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing, because Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are two relevant performers in our business. Amber Heard's in the freaking Aquaman series in the DC universe. She was just in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Johnny Depp is Johnny Depp and blah. And so when there's drama going on there, that is going to have a direct impact on the films we as fans see. Then I'm interested in it and we'll talk about it on that level. But this Ruby Rose thing, I'll be honest with you. I have, I have less than zero interest in it. I really don't. I don't have any interest at all, but I can understand you asking about Dan. I I do. It's a very salacious kind of thing that's out there, but I'll leave that to other people to discuss. All right. Thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, Scott Glenn writes, Hey, John and Rob, obviously not here today. Uh, What character slash team do you think may eventually end up in the MCU? Personally, I believe Nova is inevitable, especially with the Nova Corps and Xander getting Thanos. Um, You know, I did think that at one time. I'm not so sure about that anymore. I I don't know if Nova or the Nova Corps or anything like that are actually going to play a role much moving forward. I really don't. Especially since... You know, they they didn't remember when you're saying when Scott says they got Thanos, they didn't, it's not they were victims of the snap. Thanos actually attacked the planet and wiped half the planet out before ever getting the Infinity Gauntlet full, filled up, right? Before the snap, long before the snap. So I don't know about that anymore. As far as teams, I I really don't care. I'm more interested in the individual stories and then having some team-ups you know, like Thor and Hulk teaming up or whatever, or Black Widow and Captain America teaming up. But I'm really more interested in that stuff than whatever, you know, teams they have from the comic books bringing them. Like some people are very excited about Young Avengers. I'm not. Not that I'm not that it wouldn't be great, but I'm not interested. Some people want to see a West Coast Avengers. I don't care. Um, I'm more interested in the individual characters and the stories they tell. And then random team ups for sure. But I think they will do teams other than just the pure Avengers. Obviously, we already have them. We have the Eternals. We have Guardians of the Galaxy. They're there and we're going to get more. I just don't care which ones they are right now, to be honest with you. All right. uh, Next up. Uh, BH writes. 
Uh, hey, John, hope you're having a kick-ass day. Thank you so much, my friend. Uh, something that I've been wondering for a while is how do you know if the direct if the director slash direction is good in a TV show or movie? Thanks, and bring on the mother effing filthy. Well, without going into it for a half hour, I'll just say this. There are two specific things that I personally look for. Number one is the performances they get out of the actors. I still contend that the number one responsibility of the director is to get the best and the most tuned in performance from the actor that is needed for the character. That's the director's job. That's their number one job to me. So I look at what was the director able to do with the performances. That's why when I look at like say guardians of the galaxy, you know, it says a lot about James Gunn because Dave Bautista up at that, up to that point had really not developed any really acting chops per se, but James Gunn knew how to hide his weaknesses and accentuate his strengths to bring a terrific Drax the Destroyer performance out, right? I think that says a lot about James Gunn as a director. So number one is the performances that he gets out of the actors in the movie. Number two is just the flow of the story. Now, ultimately, the director is the one in charge of how does this story get told from the beginning, the middle, and the end. And really good flow of the story and all that kind of stuff. So those are the two main things that I look for. But, you know, it's a, it's a subjective piece of art, so everybody's answer is going to be different. But that's what I personally look for, BH. That's what I personally look for. Okay, next up. Stubble McShave writes, I saw a report that Batman is three hours. I don't think you need to believe that report. I'm hesitant to see movies longer than two and a half hours in the cinema. Uh, a long movie also means fewer showings and fewer rewatches because of the effort involved in seeing it. And they wonder why people don't go to the movies. Well, <clears throat> first of all, um, it is the minority of movies that are two and a half hours. The vast majority of movies are not two and a half hours long. Uh, but some of the big tentpole ones are. And you're not alone, Stubble McShave. Like, my brother-in-law, Ray. Like, if we and Anne say to him, hey, let's go see this movie. The very first question he asks, always, the very first question he asks is, how long is it? If it's like over two hours, he'll be like, nah. <laughs> Listen, there are people who do not want movies that long. <clears throat> That's why, like, when people were complaining about, well, Venom's only going to be about nine. I think it ended up being 97 minutes long, but about 90 minutes long. That's too short. I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, I mean it might be the perfect runtime for that movie. It might be the, and it, and it really was. I mean, it could have maybe used about 10 minutes, but honestly, to me, the runtime of Venom was a strength of the movie. It made a good, crisp, quick-moving pace to the film. I really, it made me really like it. So, anyway... Yes, there are some drawback with the longer movies, but some stories are better told with longer runtimes. So that's why I always say, hey, the runtime of a movie should be whatever the best runtime for that movie is. You know, it's stupid to say movies should be three hours long. Well, no, they shouldn't. Or it's stupid to say movies should be 90 minutes long. Well, no, they shouldn't. Every movie, every story has a right runtime for it. For some movies, the best runtime would be like 95 minutes. It's a story that needs to move quickly and have a really good pace to it and boom, boom, boom. That Some stories need a little more room to breathe. Uh, it has a little bit more it needs to tell. It needs a longer runtime. So, and I think that's why you get the vast majority of movies will be under two and a half hours long. But some movies feel like they need to be longer. And uh, again, it's a movie-to-movie -movie 
kind of thing for me, stubble. At least that's my opinion on it. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, a new limited series on Netflix you should check out, Made. Never heard of it. It has uh, 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 Andy McDowell, love her, and introduced me to Margaret Qualley, and they are both amazing. I think they should be nominated for Emmys and maybe even win one. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts is I've never even heard of it. I don't stay super tuned in to Netflix stuff, to be honest with you. Netflix does not do a good job of promoting their content. Um, so... I mean, some things, some very rare things like Stranger Things, they'll promote the hell out of. And some things like this, I've never even heard of. So no thoughts, anonymous, no thoughts. But I'll keep my eye open for it because I do love Andy McDowell. Anyway, Ted Lasso writes, hey, John, another movie to check out is Coda on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, this show is beautiful and brought tears to my eyes. It's a story about a girl who wants to be a singer growing up in a family of deaf parents. A beautiful movie about family. Have you seen Coda? I have not. I didn't even know it came out. I mean, I remember watching pre like the trailers for it not too long ago and thinking this looks really interesting, uh, but I didn't even know it released yet on Apple TV. I mean, I listen, I'll be honest. With you, I don't pay a lot of attention to Apple TV Plus other than when's a new episode of Foundation? When's a new episode of Ted Lasso? Uh, and when does uh, For All Mankind come back? And when does Morning Show come back? Other than that, I don't really stay tuned into it. So I did not even know it came out yet, but I'm going to have to go and check it out. Thanks for putting that on my radar, man. All right. Capri Grant writes, you know, one of two. I see what you're saying about the MCU becoming overpopulated with heroes and such uh, and what it's doing to the perception in the universe. But I actually think it's for the best. Hear me out. With heroes and superpowers uh, and these events happening, the use of these heroes and villains and the spectacle of it all starts to become diminished, meaning story has to become the wonder uh, in the mundane, with the mundane being the fantastical nature of having uh, a world full of powers. I, I disagree with you, Capri, because that has always been the case. Listen, you can have action movies, like just generic action movies that are just fun, have good action and blah, blah, blah. And that's always been the case. Just because they happen in the real world doesn't mean that they have to lean more heavily into story. And that's still not the case with comic book movies either. The, the world of comic book movies getting too overpopulated will not make them rely on better in-depth storytelling. They should be doing that already. Some do, some don't. But it's the whole nature of comic book movies. It's supposed to be, on top of telling great stories and stuff like that, it's supposed to be the thing that makes them unique. It's about these wondrous, fantastical things, these otherworldly, fantastical things within the world of the mundane, and we're losing that. And it's not making for better movies. It's not. And so I, I disagree with you on that, because if that was the case, then the standard fare, like popcorn action films would be becoming better in-depth storytelling as well. And that hasn't happened over the decades. I mean, some do have it and many don't. And I think the same thing will happen with comic book movies. I really don't think it's going to have an influence on it one way or the other. I mean, I hope you're right, but I, for now I disagree, but I'll, I'll, I'll hope that you're right about that. All right. Next up, we've got MK Matt who writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, MK. I'm curious for your thoughts on HBO's Succession. Have you seen it? Uh, season three just started. I've got to say it's probably my favorite show running right now. Such amazing writing and some of the best characters I've ever seen. I've only seen three episodes. I saw three episodes of Succession and I like them. You guys know I don't watch a whole ton of TV. 
I just, I don't have time to watch a lot of TV. But I watched three episodes of Succession, the first three episodes, and I liked it. But I, you know what it is? It's the same thing like, um, I never did finish Better Call Saul. I got a number of seasons into it. And then I just stopped, not because I didn't like, I loved it, but I just never got back onto it. And that's the kind of thing with Succession. I liked what I saw, but I just never got into watching it. I don't know why, but I just never did. But it's, I mean, it's winning tons of award. Brian Cox, of course, won the Emmy uh, last year for like best actor. And I mean, I love Brian Cox. But I hear nothing but good things about it. One of these days, I got to get onto it, though. Thanks for that. All right. We are not alone, writes. Are there any comic threads that speak about Earth evolving as an interplanetary species, like how in Guardians of the Galaxy or Men in Black, where different species meet up at the bar for drinks? Or are we always the runt? Would love to know your thoughts. I, I'll be honest with you. We are not alone. I have no idea what it is you're asking. I... I'll read it one more time. Are there any comic threads that speak about Earth evolving as an interplanetary species? Uh, Earth, I'm, I'm, I get, I, sorry, man, I don't know what it is you're asking. Apologize about that, man. All right. Dangerous D writes, and we're going to have to wrap this up with Dangerous D who writes, um, Hi, John. The Robin test footage went so well. Fans of uh, this sending... Fans of this sending this video to Robin's daughter, Zelda. She sent a message to fans to stop sending her the video. Yeah, this was old news. Uh, To me, I understand her frustration. After all, it's about a terrible day of her father's life. Yeah, so you guys probably heard about that. Of course, um, there was that uh, that video that he made about, you know, uh, doing, doing Robin Williams, a day in the life of Robin Williams, stuff like that, went viral, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was very, very good. I mean, it's great. But a lot of fans well-meaning kept forwarding it to Robin Williams daughter. And she was like, Hey guys, uh, thank you, but please stop. And I get it. Yeah. It it is just a reminder of a really horrible day in her life. So I get, I mean, I don't, obviously people were sending it to her had the very best of intentions, obviously, but you also got to understand how that probably hit her. All right. Now we'll, we'll end on this dangerous D writes. Hey John, Superman has a new slogan, truth, justice, and a better tomorrow, which is what they talked about at, uh, uh, at DC fandom last week. It's about time. They changed it. This is a more, this is more inclusive. It reaches to fans globally and it says Superman belongs to everyone. It feels hopeful and current climate. We need a better tomorrow. I agree. I, I actually listen. First of all, let me just say truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. It does not roll off the tongue nearly as well as truth, justice in the American way. It doesn't roll off the tongue nearly as well. That being said, for Superman, it is a much more appropriate slogan. Superman is a global hero. Uh, Superman is, at the end of the day, Superman is an illegal alien. Superman is an illegal alien uh, who was created by a Canadian, by the way. An illegal alien created by a Canadian uh, who is not human. And grew up and lives, or except for when he's in the Fortress of Solitude, which is not in America, but uh, for the most part, you know, grew up in Kansas and all that kind of stuff. But he is a global hero. And I think changing the slogan, and I know it's going to rub some people the wrong way, even though there's nothing wrong with it, but people are just going to make an issue out of it just because they 
they want to have something to make an issue out of. It is a better, even though it does not roll off the tongue nearly as well, it is a better slogan and it is more representative of what Superman truly is. He is Earth's guardian. He is Earth's champion. He doesn't fly into orbit and just look down on the United States. He flies into orbit and beholds the world. And I think it, it, it's, it's true. While I think they could have worded it better, to be honest with you, I think changing that slogan to reflect a more global Superman, I, I think is appropriate. And I, I think it works. And there are going to be some people who don't agree because they don't want to agree and it doesn't meet with their particular agenda and whatever. It's fine. I was fine with them keeping it the way it is. I think this is personally a good move. I wouldn't have been, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of these people saying they need to change that slogan. I, I've never felt that, but now that they have changed it, I'm like, yeah, it works. It makes sense. This is more appropriate for who and what Superman is. So I personally agree. There are others who don't. That's fine. Whatever. All right, guys, listen, there are still more to go from the super Korean bus driver who killed Roy and uh, anonymous and more on. We will pick up right where we left off here on the John Campia show tomorrow on Monday. Make sure you guys come on in and uh, join us for that. So if you sent in a question, it's not been answered yet. We'll pick up right where we left off here tomorrow. So that'll do it guys for this installment of the companion videos. Thank you so much to all of you guys who sent in these questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did and all of us involved with the John Campion show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.